Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday to everybody. Thrilled that you're here this morning. Ran across an article this past week that really caught my attention. It was entitled, World Death Rate Holding Steady at 100%. Here's what the article said. World Health Organization officials expressed disappointment last Monday that despite the enormous efforts of doctors, rescue workers, and other medical professionals, their extensive studies have revealed that the global death rate remains constant at 100%. The group reported that death, quote, a metabolic affliction causing total shutdown of all life functions, has long been considered humanity's number one health concern. Responsible for 100% of all recorded fatalities worldwide, the condition has no cure. World Health Organization Director General uh, Dr. Gernst Blatt, I think is how I say it, said, I was really hoping what with all the new radiology treatments, rescue helicopters, aerobics TV shows, and what have you, that we might at least make a dent in it this year. But unfortunately, it would appear that the death rate remains constant and total as it has inviolably since the dawn of time. I could read on the article, but you get the idea. Some of you are going, it's satire. It's, sat- it's the original fake news. I mean, it really is. It's, it's the Onion. Have you, some of you heard the Onion.com is an interesting website. I wouldn't endorse every article that's out there because there's some racy ones, but there's some funny ones too. And uh, here's why I bring it to your attention. Do you suppose that Jesus' disciples were familiar with the fact that death tends to be an enduring, permanent condition. Suppose the disciples knew that? Of course they did. They knew it as well or better than most of us. They'd also been eyewitnesses, though, to some things that you and I have not been eyewitnesses to. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus' miracles. They personally saw him raise a synagogue leader's daughter from the dead. That would get your attention more than an Onion article. They personally watched Jesus interrupt a funeral procession, raising a widow's son from the dead, completely disrupting everything for the good. They personally watched when Jesus spoke to a man who'd been buried in a grave four days. His name was Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, bound in his grave clothes still, got up and walked out to everyone's shock and amazement. The disciples were eyewitnesses to all of this and more. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because of what they and more than 500 other followers of Jesus were witnesses to all over the world today, as Tara was alluding to earlier, people like us are gathering to celebrate that we serve, we worship, we follow a risen, living Lord. His name is Jesus. And he came not for his own health and welfare. He came for ours. He came to shatter the world's mortality rate. He came to become the cure for humanity's number one health concern and number one spiritual concern. The health concern is death. The spiritual concern is sin. And he is quite literally the hope of a dying world. The only hope of a dying world. And for the next few minutes, I want you to help you understand that 
If you believe that to the core of your being, you're not naive or crazy for believing that. And for those of you who think to yourself, I'd like to believe that, but I'm not sure about that, I want to help you understand this morning that you will not be naive or crazy if you choose to believe the truth of what Scripture has been saying for a couple thousand years. If you have your Bible with me this morning, open it up to Matthew 27. We're going to start at verse 62. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there's one in the shelf in the chair in front of you. I encourage you to open that up. Turn to page 598 if you're unfamiliar with where Matthew chapter 2762 is. It's on 598 in that book. But I want you to see that believing that Jesus overcome the grave, overcame the grave is not naive or crazy. I mean, the Bible makes it really clear, and if we would just think through carefully some of the things that it tells us, it would help us to understand that this is not, this is not some fantastical story that only the naive and uninitiated, the uneducated could embrace. I hope you'll listen close. It'll inspire your faith, I think, and strengthen it. Matthew 27, we're going to start at verse 62 and follow along with me in your Bible there as we look at these words together. The Scripture says that the next day on the Sabbath, and let me just pause and say this is the day after Jesus was crucified, okay? This is the next day. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir... We remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. Let's pause right there. Is it clear in the text that the Pharisees knew that Jesus was dead at this point? Yes. They're talking to Pilate. They're not going to go bug Pilate if he's alive. Okay? They're just not going to do that. So they clearly believe to the core of their being that he's dead. Pilate believes that he's dead. The Roman soldiers who executed him believe he's dead. The disciples, of course, believe he's dead. So they say, sir, we remember that 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 what that deceiver once said while he was still alive, and then it goes on and they quote him. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. The Bible goes on to describe, though, that early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb and suddenly... There was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, his clothing was as white as snow, and the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I've told you. Well, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they'll see me there. You know, when the women finally got word to the other disciples, only one of the disciples, Thomas, 
was slow to believe. The rest of them quickly came to the conclusion that, that Jesus has really resurrected from the dead. I mean, they were shocked by that, but they, they quickly believed. And I want you to think with me about this. How could these disciples, and eventually even Thomas, possibly believe that Jesus was risen from the dead? I mean, when they understood the mortality rate, just like you and me, how could they come to believe this? These verses... Several others in Scripture reveal several important proofs of Jesus' resurrection. Proofs that I want to remind you of this morning, some of you. Proofs that I want to present to some of you this morning. Much more could be said about every one of these proofs that I'm going to highlight this morning. But I just hope that you'll reflect on this, that you'll receive, ponder it. Because the disciples believed because of them. And we should too. We should too. The first proof that the disciples believed and we should believe is this, the, the proof of the prophecy, the prophecy. Even Jesus' enemies knew the prophecy. In, in Matthew 27, verse 63, the Pharisees said it this way, Sir, we remember what that deceiver once said when he was still alive, and then they quoted the prophecy that Jesus had said, After three days I will rise from the dead. Some of us hear that and we think, you know, we've, we've been students of history, whatever, and we think of people in history, you know, 600s, uh, 1500s, people who, who basically made the same kind of claim. Well, I'm going to die and then I'll be resurrected. Do you understand that when it comes to this whole idea of prophesying in advance that you would die and then come back from the dead, that for humans, humans did not bother to make that promise until Jesus? Do you understand that? You can go back in the ancient writings and historical documents and stuff, and what you find, not just the biblical ones, I'm talking about like secular ones, the Greek ones and all this other stuff, the Sanskrit writings. You have gods and goddesses that people wrote about who died and came back to, the, to, to live. But there were no humans who claimed, I'm going to die and rise from the dead. Because everybody would look at them and go, you, sir, are an idiot. This didn't happen in ancient times. It doesn't happen in modern times. They understood something back then that we understand now, that the mortality rate is rather consistent. What was unique about Jesus was that he was fully God and fully human, and uniquely he prophesied his own resurrection. Everybody knew it. There was no ambiguity or fog about it. Others have tried, but only he did what he said. Think about that, friends. Since then, lots of others have tried to copy this model. It hasn't worked very well. But Jesus was the first human to claim in advance, I'm going to die but three days I will be resurrected. And then do it. It's the first proof. The second proof is the guards. If you just look at the text, clearly there are guards. Look at verse 64, 65 of Matthew 27. Look at why they, they, they went to Pilate to begin with. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. They say, this will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. See, clearly they understood what could have... I mean, that's what they were afraid was going to happen because 
Did the Pharisees believe that Jesus would be resurrected? No, they didn't. They thought the disciples would come and take his body, and so they prepared for that eventuality. And when you look at this, did they get a guard? No, they got guards, plural. They got some kind of a detachment of soldiers standing at a tomb that is sealed. It was not open. It was not unattended. And it's important we understand this because if the disciples had come for the body themselves, guess what? The Roman soldiers who were there would have made tombs for them. They would have needed them. That's why they're there. So believe. It's the third proof that we see in, in the text of Jesus' resurrection. It's the angel. If you look at verses 2 through 7 in Matthew 28, it's a great depiction of it. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him. They fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. Now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. These were the words of the angel. And I want you to think about this. An angel announced the Jesus' conception. Remember that? Remember that from Christmas? Angel speaks to Mary. You will conceive a child. Goes on and instructs that he will be named Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Tells her, tells Joseph. An angel shows up at his birth, announcing to shepherds the arrival of the one who would save humanity from his sins, from their sins. And is it not interesting that an angel shows up at Jesus' rebirth, you might say, his resurrection? It just fits. It's synchronous. It's consistent. Believe. It's not a fantastical thing to show up here any more than it's a fantastic thing that he shows up, an angel shows up at his birth. Proof number four is the tomb. The tomb was empty. It was empty. The body was gone. This is, this is today. I, you, right here, this is the garden tomb in Israel today. We don't know if this is the exact one, but what we do know is that for centuries, people have been going to this tomb, people like you and me who believe, multiple millions of people going to this tomb to honor and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. You know why they go to this tomb? Because, there is, we, because there's an empty tomb and we're not sure which one it is. Lots of other people in ancient times. We know where this person lives. I can take you to Caiaphas' house where it was in ancient times. I can take you all over Israel, all over Jerusalem to exact places where things were. You cannot find the exact place of Jesus' tomb because the tomb was empty. It was empty. Verse 6 says it this way. Look again. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. He rose. He rose. Proof number five. The appearances. 
the Bible speaks of in Matthew 28. Look at verses 9 and 10. If you have your Bible still open or follow along on the screen, it just says that as they went, as the women left, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him. They grasped his feet. They worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They'll see me there. Now, I want to ask you, does that sound like, do you grasp the feet of a spirit or an apparition? No. You grasp the feet of a person who's very much alive. I mean, this is not some spirit. This is not some, some vision or dream that they had. They grasped his feet. He could speak. He gave coherent instructions. Jesus was fully alive, bodily resurrected. In fact, not just in this instance, but others that the Bible describes, 1 Corinthians 5, 15 and 5 and following says this, that he was seen by Peter and the twelve, and after that uh, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. So either they're all hallucinating at the same moment, or he's there. And you know which makes more sense there. Most of whom are still alive, the Bible says, at the time this was written. Though some have died. And then it goes on and says, Then he's seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, Paul the apostle who penned these words said, I also saw him. Jesus was fully alive, bodily resurrected. It wasn't just the women who held his feet. There were others who ate with him talked to him, fellowshiped with him. And in fact, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, J. Thomas, who put his finger in his hands inside. Believe. Believe. You're not crazy. You're not naive for believing this. The, the story is consistent. It makes coherent sense. The sixth proof that we see in the biblical text is the transformations of the disciples. The disciples, after this experience, were never the same. Their fear of people, their fear of death, faded rapidly. They were filled with faith, hope, love, courage, boldness, the kind of boldness that most of us could only wish for. Pray for. And if you'll believe... The truth of Scripture is that you'll never be the same either. You will be different. Something inside of you will begin to change. And you will become a different, better person with time. In fact, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. What the passage is saying is believe. It's saying believe. It wants us to understand that you and I are not naive or crazy for believing that Jesus was resurrected. In fact, what it wants us to understand is that we can be saved. We can be saved if we believe. If we confess. So I want to ask you this morning, have you confessed your belief in Jesus? Have you been baptized as a tangible, physical declaration with your body, soul, and spirit of the faith that you have? Have you done that? As believers throughout the centuries have done. 
it's important that you and I practice this, that we, that we engage and we demonstrate our faith in these ways because this is, this is the heritage of believers for centuries. Proclaiming our faith in the one who died, was buried, and rose from the grave. Have you declared that with your mouth and with your body? We're going to sing a song together here in just a few moments. It's a wonderful song. Worthy is the Lamb is the name of it. We've sung it a lot of times around here. just want to invite you to take the opportunity of this song to uh, even verbally declare your faith. Because the fact is, he alone is resurrected. He alone is worthy of your adoration and mine. And on a day like today, when we remember his death, burial, and resurrection, he is worthy of our praise this day. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, stand with us, join us on this song, and um, open your heart to God. It's an opportunity to declare your belief, to declare your gratitude with us, all right? You know, the cross, the empty tomb... They're the keys to you and me overcoming the grave, the scriptures teach. Scriptures teach that Jesus was the first of a great harvest of those who will be resurrected from the dead one day. You know, I want to believe in that. I'm saying this morning, believe. Believe. Maybe this morning you walked in or you're listening in this morning and you're you're kind of skeptical. You've come from that place. I'm saying today, lay aside your skepticism. And embrace our good and gracious God who is worthy of praise, who came for you. To deal with your sin and to deal with this incurable issue called death. And I ask you to bow your heads with me. Let's close in prayer. We're glad that you made it this morning. If you'd like specific prayer about something, come on down afterwards and we'll pray for you. We just invite you to believe. Father, we thank you that you are so kind and good and generous that we have fallen short of your expectations and ours. Instead of judging us harshly as you chose, you judged your one and only son. You heaped on him the anger, the bitterness, the frustration, the the discouragement, the, the wrath that you had toward us was all poured out on him. And we thank you that because of that, you're not mad. You're not mad at any person in this room. You're not mad at any of us listening in. You are not mad at us, but you love us. You have chosen us. You have embraced us, and you're inviting us to believe and to follow you because you're good, you're gracious, you're worthy. You're worthy of our full and total devotion now and for all eternity. This morning, we just want to extend it to you, and we want to say thank you. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for loving us. We don't deserve it, but we thank you. And would you fill us, Lord? Fill us. Help us. Help us to lay aside all unbelief and to believe with our whole hearts just as you believe in and hope for us trying to help us, trying to guide us. 
Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your triumph. Thank you for your mercy. Now we lift this prayer, Father, in the name of Jesus, our wonderful, powerful, worthy Savior. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Happy Resurrection Sunday. If you need prayer for anything, come on down.